Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. We've got a wonderful, fascinating show in store for you today. I I hope you caught last week's show. It was pre-recorded. I wasn't live. Um, But uh, I had a wonderful guest, Sandra Bargeman. And we did announce at the end of the show that she's going to have her own show here on the talkradio.nyc network uh, starting uh, later in October. Uh, So I hope you had a chance to catch that. If you didn't, please go back, take a listen to it, and uh, you can find it on the talkradio.nyc. And of course, you know, those of you who listen regularly, you know that uh, you can find the Conscious Consultant Hour on all the major podcasting apps, almost all of them, I think. I'm like everything from like iHeartRadio. Radio to Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, all that good stuff. Okay. All right. So let's get started because uh, I really want to get to my guest. So let's start off with our quote of the day from uh, my book, Everyday Awakening. And so this week's section, kind of a small section, but uh, this one's actually pretty important. And this one is entitled, Pain is a Message About Needing to Change. Pain is a great communicator. You cannot ignore it or avoid it. We may spend a great deal of time attempting to make it go away instead of listening to it, but pain always has a message to it. It is here to inform us that something needs to change. It does not matter whether it is physical pain or emotional pain. The message is the same. Something is not working properly and we need to look at it. Something is stuck and we need to release it Something is misaligned, and we need to balance it. Often we judge pain as bad, and that makes it all the more painful. If we can release our judgment of pain and pay attention to it instead of rejecting it, we have taken the first step to releasing it. Listening to the pain, really delving into it, and being open to its message is the surest way to get past it. As long as we stuff it down, ignore it, and avoid it at all costs, it will persist. It will continue and will miss a great opportunity to learn. Where is your pain? What is it telling you? How can you be more open to it? So this section, um, it's something that I I wrote, I, I guess because... This is something that tends to come up a lot when I'm coaching people and working with people one-on-one. 
because often people come to someone like myself or a coach or a healer because they're in some kind of pain there's something bothering them and and they they just don't know how to get past it they don't know how to deal with it and i inevitably use the analogy of how pain is actually a good thing and i talk about how like when we're a little kid if we put our hand on a hot stove what are we going to do well we're going to pull it away we're going to say ouch because it hurts and thank goodness that it does hurt because if we didn't what would we do we might leave our hand on there for a long time until our hand turns to like this big burnt crispy thing. And that's not good. So the pain is actually informing us that we should take our hand off that hot stove. And that same analogy for pain, it works for like every aspect of our life. If you're in a relationship with someone and that person is causing you a lot of pain, it's time to listen to that pain and change something about that situation. I'm not saying you necessarily need to, to leave or get out of it, but that might be one of the answers. But maybe it's just you need to have a conversation. Maybe you need to sit down and draw some boundaries. I mean, there could be a million different choices. So pain isn't always about just stop doing what you're doing. You know, it's about looking at it. It's about seeing what kind of message is there for us in the pain. And personally, I always find that when I actually sit with my pain, when I sit with my heartache, and I'm like, why, why do I have so much heartache? There can be some really amazing insights in it. And there can be some very deep healing that can come from that. As long as we're willing to be open to it, to sit with it, to really be present to it. And it's the most difficult thing because when we're in pain, all we want to do is get out of pain. All we want to do is get rid of it, avoid it. it it's, you know, we take pills to, to deaden the pain instead of like, what is this pain trying to teach me? And, and this is something that, you know, I've known about and, and, and have been open and aware to for many years. And, and it's interesting because ever since sort of this concept of being present to your pain and seeing what it has to teach you, I've actually consciously tried to take a lot less painkillers. I mean, not that I ever did that much anyway. I rarely just who I am. I rarely get a headache. You, usually if I have pain, it's from my teeth or, or, or because I stubbed my toe or something. Or, but, but I try and sit with the pain a little bit more. I, I try not to take the aspirin so quickly. I'm not saying I never do. I'm not saying like you shouldn't do that. But I, I, at least I, I take a step into what is this all about? Why is it hurting so much? And what can I learn from this? And then I sit with it. And, and then if I've gotten the message, I'm like, okay, I got it. I know what I need to do. Yeah, then I'll take an aspirin, a Tylenol or whatever. Um, because we don't have to marinate in the pain. <laughs> we, we need to be present to it, but we don't have to marinate in it. 
So anyway, a wonderful short little section from my book, Everyday Awakening. Um, and if you like this one, uh, my book is full of 125 other little uh, essays and, and perspectives and thoughts. And of course, as I've mentioned before on the show, you can always get it. Um, this link will take you right to the book, www.everydayawakeningbook.com. Dot com and that'll take you straight to the listing on Amazon. But if you like to visit the local booksellers like I do, if they don't carry it, you can ask them to order it. We're we're in the, one of the major uh, book distributors, so like any bookstore can can order it from their their regular distributor. So, thank you. I, I hope you uh, got something out of that uh, uh, little section. And, uh, I know I, I enjoy it. <laughs> so it's always a good thing when, when the host enjoys what they're talking about on the show, because that's kind of important. So now it is my pleasure to introduce to you author, bartender, and actor, Mike Anthony. Mike has been a professional actor and not so professional bartender since he graduated from Wayne state university with a master of arts, uh, degree in theater. His first book, Life at Hamilton chronicles the extraordinary time he spent as a theater bartender with an up-close perspective of Hamilton, an American musical, as it rocketed into Broadway history. Beyond his, the his life in theater, however, Mike's journey took an unexpected turn when his dad passed away, leading him down a remarkable path of discovery. He now spends a good portion of his time exploring evidence suggestive of the survival of consciousness beyond the demise of the physical body. A part of Mike's story is told in the documentary series on Netflix, Surviving Death. Mike's latest book, which we're going to talk about today, Love, Dad, intimately shares one family's darkest hours and their road to healing, a road that has been long ignored or scoffed at by the scientific community. Mike, being a healthy skeptic, goes to great lengths to uncover the paradigm-shifting research into the nature of consciousness that exists and shows us why it must be put back into the forefront with no shame attached. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Mike. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Uh, wonderful to have you. Always love a, a, a fellow kind of um, critical thinker, but at least open to things that are different. Yes. And so I'm, I'm curious, um, you've been in the world of acting. And, and as I mentioned, uh, my, my guest last week is going to be doing her own show. She, uh, her name's Sandra Bargeman. She's been in the musical theater world for years and years. And she's an interfaith minister. And it brought her to like a sort of a very spiritual place in her life, kind of side by side with her involvement in the entertainment industry. And so I'm curious, uh, um, before we get into your book, like, did you have sort of a, a spiritual sort of awareness uh, before your dad passed away? I mean, was there something like you were already leaning towards or were you pretty much like a healthy skeptic and, you know, ah, that, that, that stuff's all kind of silly um, and, until like this big event actually forced you to look at? No, I would never, I would not say that I, I'd ever scoffed at it. And, and I mean, I'm a very open-minded person. So you can be simultaneously hyper uh skeptical 
and open, right? Those two things are not, they, they do not preclude each other. So, uh, I mean, I grew up as, a, as my path has been meandering, as you can tell by the fact that I'm a bartender, an actor, all this, right? I, I've never had a clear picture of what my life was going to be. But what I do know is that when, from the time I was little, I was just fascinated by life. I, I tell the story in the book about going to the airport with my dad and watching these planes take off. And they were so huge. And the fact that they could be in the air, I could not grasp that. And when I got to school and, and finally started taking science classes as a young kid, and some of those, it felt like some, some locked boxes were getting opened that had the secrets to why that plane could fly, which I now know, actually, uh, interestingly, we actually still don't entirely understand the flight of planes, which is an interesting thing to be aware really? of. Even now, there is a part of it that is still a little confusing to us. Anyway, uh, so oh. I fell in love with science as a, mm -hmm. as a young kid and, um, and thought I was going to be a high school science teacher. But eventually, as I got further down the line, and that's what I initially went to college for, uh, I was studying science and physics and biology and all of this stuff. And I eventually realized that uh, in a physics class one day, I was having a debate with a professor about the about gravity. And uh. gravity is something that um, affects every single uh, um, theory that we have uh, physically, right. right, about how right. the universe works. And yet, when we got down to it, I said, but, but what exactly is gravity? What is it exactly mechanically? Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, it's a force. I, go, I, I understand that, but what does it mean? The bottom line was he didn't know. We don't know exactly <laughs> even what gravity is. Not only it, not how planes fly, but something as fundamental and pervasive as the reason my I'm supposedly being stuck to this chair and not being flung out into space. Something as you know pervasive as, as that, we don't fully understand. And when I realized mm. that there are things that I think science may never be able to reach. Uh, there might be things that are outside the realm of even the most sensitive scientific equipment, meaning to me, right. basically, that the very fundamental levels of how this all works, it's still a complete mystery. And I thought, well, I don't want to spend my whole life going down a particular road, uh, which so many scientists have done, by the way. You know, they spend their life's work going one way and then an experiment happens at the Large Hadron Collider or wherever, yeah. and all of that work uh, it, it, as it like turns out, out the window, yeah, out the window. So, and that's how I ended up. Uh, I had always been an actor as well, like in high school and everything. And while I was taking the science classes, I was also minoring in theater. Um, oh, wow. and, and so that was when I decided to be an actor. And for me, acting is just sort of the other side of the same coin, right? Science is one way to understand the physical universe, and acting mm. is another way to understand what it is to be human. It's about looking mm. at being a human from all of these different perspectives. So, in in my mind. Uh, they sort of come together. So all of that is to say that, yes, I've, I've long been open to the idea that there is much beyond our physical senses, possibly. Um, and so for me to say that anything is impossible, like life after death or anything like that, for anyone to say that is impossible, never felt to me um, like that was a sound, uh, like that was sound reasoning. Uh, so yes, I, 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 and on top of that, I have also felt that uh, there's much more than meets the eye, right? I've always, there's nothing scientific about this, obviously, but I've had a feeling uh, that there's more to this than, than we can right, see right. and sense.
Yeah, I, I can totally relate because growing up in the, in, in, in the city, uh, I went to Bronx High School of Science. So I was very much, my dad was a statistician. My mom was an elementary school teacher. So I was very much in the math and science end of things. But then there had some things happen when I was in high school, my first year of college that I just couldn't explain. And that were just sort of beyond like, you know, traditional laws. And I was just like, I don't know what this means, but there's definitely like something out there that we can't quite explain. And then I got introduced to, you know, holograms and, and the, the quantum physicists and, and all this deep stuff. Wow. Like the closer and closer we look at fundamental matter, the less and less there is and how like, (laughs) sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it acts like a wave. Sometimes it acts like a particle. And so there's just so much about this universe that where we really don't understand that it, it, to me, it just makes sense to be open because there's so many possibilities. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we, we got to take a quick break. So I wanted to hold that thought. And so when we come back from this commercial break, I want to sort of uh, have you talk a little bit about sort of the story around your dad, like, like, you know, what was the genesis of this book and, and sort of what sort of got you running down that rabbit hole at that point in your life. Okay, Mike. Sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern right here on talkradio.nyc and all over Facebook on Facebook Live. And I am keeping a track on the the video on Facebook. So if you have any questions or comments, please make sure to post them there. We're speaking this hour with Mike Anthony, author of the book, Love Dad. And we will be right back after this. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour with Mike Anthony, author of the book, Love Dad. So, so, so Mike, let, let, let's talk about this book. Why, why did you write this book? Like, what, what happened? You know, what, what kind of kicked it all off? Well, so as I was saying before, though I'd been always open to the idea that there was much more going on than meets the eye, I'd never had anything. It sounds like you had something happen in college, you were saying, that was sort of uh, direct, and it led mm-hmm. you to think, okay, something's going on here. Uh, not until my dad passed uh, did things begin to happen that I simply could not explain away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way it began was my, my dad died very suddenly. He was only 60 and a very young 60. You know, From our perspective, it came yeah. out of nowhere. And uh, almost immediately- my dad- died at 62 but it, oh. it and it also kind of came out of nowhere but then after it happened we found out that like he had had symptoms leading up to it but he just never told anybody i i ha- i suspect uh through other means now <laughs> through, yeah. through further communications with him that that is the same with him he and he was exactly that kind of guy that would never have wanted to burden anyone with anything uh going on with him so we suspect now there were i mean obviously something was going on and and and, and he mm. just did not share that with us but um it, almost immediately upon his uh physical death Things began to happen uh, that were that uh, rattled my scientifically oriented brain. Uh, do, you, do you remember what the first one, first thing was? I do. Yeah, uh, we. So the day after he died, my sister and I were in his house going through his things, and obviously that was an incredibly emotionally difficult day. It's literally the following morning sure sure and my dad was not an organized man he had a little home office and he had stacks and stacks of notebooks and 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 little uh sheets of paper that he would scribble things on now my dad our whole lives he communicated not uh, very much through his words but through his actions and often through music so for instance when we were little uh he took he put my sister and i in the backseat of the car and he said we're going to take a ride and i want to play this song for you and this is how i feel about you guys and it was the song child of mine by carol king oh so yeah, yeah, yeah he long communicated with us like he would always say hey check out this song this is a great song anyway so on this little piece of paper in the middle of the stack of you know piles of paper there uh, it says i believe tell jen jen is my sister's name Uh so we didn't know what what that meant now a further down in the pile like two hours later down in the pile and and by the way this is a little scrap two scrap pieces of paper that he had ripped off of a larger piece they're like two inches by an inch Uh so just the fact that we found them at all was anyway so then further down in the pile we find the second scrap that says i believe a country song So it occurred to us, oh my gosh, my dad must have heard this song on the radio at some point, twice, two different times, and meant to tell my sister about it and never had. So filed that away. Uh, Then the day of the wake, we were, uh, the morning of the wake, we were at my mom's house sitting in the living room and my mom decided she wanted to have some music playing at the service. So uh, we were putting a playlist together on iTunes. And I said, oh, you know, Google, I believe country music and, and see what that song was that dad was trying to, to, to mention to you, uh, you know, and as it turns out, it's a song by Brooks and Dunn and it is about life after death. The song is about a man who dies, who is not afraid of dying because he knows there is life after death. Huh. And, and the, it ends with the line, you can't tell me that it all ends in a slow ride in a hearse. Now, 
there aren't that many pop. And first of all, this song had been popular like seven or eight years before that. It was not on the radio at that time. None of us had ever heard the song before. So it was remarkable that that was the subject matter, first of all. Mm. My dad had heard this song seven years or whatever before, and Mm. now we're hearing it. So, of course, it made it to the playlist and we played it out the week. Now, that would have been, you know, interesting enough. Following the funeral, I was driving back to New York City for the first time I was alone now since his passing, and it suddenly hit me. You know, as, as you know, when you're dealing with a funeral and someone's death, uh, the, all of the logistics, and you're not really dealing maybe with the emotion, the pain, as you mentioned in your opening from your book, yeah. uh, you're sort of avoiding that at the beginning. So I'm in the car, and suddenly my dad, you know, my phone is 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 on my seat, and I'm I, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I, I'm never going to be able to pick that phone up again and call my dad. And that mm. destroyed me, that thought. So I started sobbing. Mm. And I'm on 95 on, in, in Connecticut, uh, which, as you uh, know, yeah. <laughs> not, not safe to be driving on 95 anytime, particularly right. if you're a sob. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, I got to pull over. Now, at that time in my life, I, uh, as soon as iPods were invented, I always listened to my own music all the time. As soon as I got wow. into my car, I would plug in my iPod and have my own music on. On this day, I simply did not have the energy. So I did not plug the phone in. It was sitting on my seat. I, as I started to sob and I'm putting on my blinker to turn off the highway, uh, I noticed that the radio was on and had been on in the background. I didn't turn it on. It would just had, happened to be on because I didn't oh. plug in my phone. And I hear these words and I can't quite believe what it is I think I'm hearing. It's on quietly. And I go to turn it up and I'm thinking, I'm actually, and I'm getting chills right now recalling this. I'm thinking, I, I'm afraid to turn this up because if I am hearing what I think I'm hearing, I'm like going to lose control of my car right now. (laughs) I turn it up and I hear the words. You can't tell me that it all ends in a slow ride in a hearse. It's Uh, that song on my radio, which I never listened to. And I'm not a country music fan. There's no reason that should have been tuned to a country station. I didn't know Connecticut had a country station. (laughs) So then I I, I call my sister and I'm like, listen to this. I'm like screaming into the phone. So that was the first thing that happened mm-hmm. that um i yeah it's hard to overstate what it felt like in the moment in the moment it felt like right. oh my gosh this has to be some sort of a communication with my dad and and then things continued from there wow wow um did did your sister think you were crazy when you called her up like that i mean no or did no no she, she also like oh my god it's dad she did feel that way. As soon as we heard the, the the song that morning while we were putting that playlist together for the wake, we were all three of us, my sister and my mom and I were shocked that that was the subject matter of this song that we happened to find these two little scribbled notes about that he had clearly written years earlier. Really? You know, they're on these faded pieces of little paper um so that alone was enough so no my luckily my family has been with me on this whole uh journey that has led to places you know by the time you get to the end of the book i'm no longer talking about hearing songs on the radio or seeing butterflies at interesting times uh by the end of the book i'm talking about things that are 100 percent um real and there's no debate about them they happen to here in physical reality uh and so luckily my my family has been with me on this whole thing so they know i'm not crazy because they have experienced it themselves gotcha. gotcha and so after having these experiences did you kind of seek out 
uh, 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 mediums or people like if you felt like he was he was trying to communicate with you, did you seek out anybody who could help you to communicate with him? No, not at first. Interestingly, in our case, a medium sought out us, so which oh, is very really? obviously atypical. Yeah. So I had been aware of mediumship only from like the television show uh, Crossing Over with John Edwards. John Edwards. Was- I actually saw John Edwards live once. Oh, as as have I since then, since that yeah. time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I thought in high school, well, that's interesting, but it's television. You know, right. I, I'm thinking, surely if there are people walking around this planet with the ability to talk to dead people, certainly one of my science professors would have told me about that. That's important <laughs> information to have. Yeah, and yeah, since no. and since no one had taught it to me in school, I thought, well, there can't be a whole lot to it. But a week after we buried my dad, a phone call came into our house uh, from my second cousin's husband, a guy that I couldn't even bring to mind when my mom told me his name. Uh, This is a person we never talked to, had never called my mother's house before. Mm. As it turns out, he, uh, on the weekends, is a ghost hunter. He has a team where he goes to houses that are uh, experiencing some sort of paranormal activity. And I don't like using that word paranormal anymore uh, now that I'm so certain of the reality of these these things uh, often. But anyway, he has this team, uh, which he never talked about because my cousin, my second cousin, whatever, Chris, uh, he had a big time job at a hospital. And uh, he never- Wait, 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 Chris what? uh, Chris, uh, oh my God, I can't even remember his last name right now. Is he in Staten Island? No, he's in Connecticut now. Oh, he's in Connecticut. Chris Ghost Hunter in- in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy Chris, I met years ago. Cox, and he, Chris Cox, that's his name. Oh, Cox, Cox. No, it wasn't Cox. He had some like real Italian last name. Oh, okay, okay. No, no, no. Yeah, Chris. Co- yeah. Oh wait. Uh, go ahead. He, go ahead. Keep telling the story. I'm gonna. Sure. Yeah. 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 He worked at a hospital and, and, and had a big sort of you know big time job, and he was afraid to tell anyone he worked with that. Oh, by the way, on the weekends, I I hunt for ghosts because he thought he'd lose his job. Yeah. So not even his his uh family members really knew much about this so he has a medium on his team as it turns out and one day she called him and she said chris i have this guy here his name is bob or robert he's desperate to get a message to his family i feel like it's somehow connected to your family somehow and also they there's something to do with a fish restaurant in this family and he is not going to leave me alone until he gets this message to his family and chris says bob fish restaurant and then he recalled oh wait a minute my sister my little sister owns a fish restaurant so that's how chris finally put it together and he called my mom's house which he did not want to do and chris and i have talked about this a lot since then because uh what an awkward phone call for this poor guy to make you know he doesn't know what my family believes about any of this stuff and and my dad had just been buried but so insistent was this medium friend of his that chris uh, you know, made the call and said, listen, I've, I've got to tell you this. And so that's how it started. And then I ended up getting that medium's phone number because I needed to get to the bottom of that story. Right, right, right. And uh, found out that, you know, through a long conversation that at the very least, she seemed compassionate, she seemed kind, and she seemed intelligent. And I mm. believed that at least she believed what she was saying. And then she also said a couple of things during that conversation that I thought, how could she know that? Know that. How could she yeah. know that? So I tell my sister about the conversation and we're thinking, well, this is pretty interesting. Now, again, this is after we've heard the song and then some things with some right. butterflies that happened. The following morning, after I tell my sister about this conversation I've had with this medium who has gotten this message to us, my sister's driving to work in Connecticut and on her radio, here's 
a segment on a radio station uh, with a medium who is who is giving it's a morning you know drive segment and she's uh-huh. giving readings for people who are calling in her name's angelina uh-huh. diana and she's based here in connecticut and my sister thought well my gosh the timing of this is pretty interesting what are the chances i would today hear this on the radio uh-huh. uh and that woman uh, gave readings in Connecticut. So my sister ended up calling her. Uh, and of course, I detail the story in the book. Some extraordinary things happened. But the bottom line was we set up a reading for this woman at my house, my mom's house, sorry. Mm-hmm. And I decided to test her in a very basic way by talking with my dad. Okay. So I want you to hold that. Hold that thought because we got to take a break. So when we come back, um, let us know about like what happens when she got there and what was your experience with her, okay? Sounds great. Awesome. So everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we will be right back after this. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. <laughs> so, Mike, I interrupted you. You're in the middle of the story. So you, your sister hears this medium on the radio. You guys decide to have a session with her. She's coming to your mom's house. 
And what happens? So I decide to do a little uh, casual scientific experiment. I'm, I theorize that if my dad can truly m- somehow make a, uh, a DJ play a song at a particular time on a radio and get this and supposedly talk to this other medium to get her to contact my cousin to call us, then surely if I ask my dad to deliver a specific message through this medium, I thought that should be possible, right? That seemed logical to me. So I was standing in my dad's house completely alone. He lived in a house in the middle of the woods in a back lot in Connecticut. And I said, okay, dad, I need you to deliver a very specific message to me tonight. I need this woman to say something specific that I'm going to ask you for now, or else I'm not going to believe anything else that happens. And as I was thinking about what to say, I was suddenly flooded with this memory that when my sister and I were little at night, we would beg my dad to play with our hair to help us fall asleep at night. Uh, you know, and we'd say, you know, five more minutes, dad, if I, and until his hand was completely cramped up, he would play with our hair to help us fall asleep. So I hadn't thought of that in years. And that memory came to me and I said, okay, that's it. I need this woman to mention my hair in some capacity. She has to mention my hair or I'm not going to take seriously anything else that happens. So I make that and I say that, you know, out loud to my dad in his empty house in the middle of nowhere. And then later on that night, we're back at my mother's house and the medium comes. And um, again, there's a whole lot to this that she said that was mind blowing. And I detail all of it specifically in the book. But just to get to the nut of the story here, um, I, I by the end of the it lasted for about an hour and a half. And by the end of it, I had forgotten about my little experiment because I had been so blown away by some of the things she said. And, and I couldn't fathom how she was doing this because according Mm -hmm. to every science teacher I'd ever had nearly everyone Mm -hmm. this woman had to be faking this somehow because according Mm -hmm. to mainstream science there is no life after death consciousness is a brain created epiphenomenon and uh, when the brain stops receiving oxygen that's the end of the story that's the mainstream position right so my brain was reeling trying to figure out how she could be tricking us how could she be doing this and saying some of the things she's saying so by the end of it we're all crying that's how moving the experience was everyone's saying this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to us now if you are a person who is who is faking it uh, you're a huckster of some kind you know when to walk out the door you know right. when you've done the job, mission accomplished. Every all of these crying fools are going <laughs> to tell everyone in their life how amazing this was. You're going to get years of work out of this, right? But instead of just quitting while she was ahead, we were now in the middle of wrapping up, right? So we're like in the middle of small talk. And she was in the middle of a sentence to someone else. There were seven of us there in the room, seven of us. Mm-hmm. She didn't know anyone who was going to be there, by the way. She knew only my sister's first name. Uh, she stopped mid-sentence and looked directly at me, no one else, right at me. And she said, your dad wants to talk about your hair. And she did this little motion with her hand. And when she said that, I mean, it took my breath away. It, it literally took my breath away. I, I couldn't breathe for a second. And my mom and sister are saying, what, what? Because I hadn't shared it with anyone, oh. my dead dad. And I said, well, you're not going to believe this. I, I talked to dad a couple of hours ago and I asked him to have this woman mention my hair and she just did. And that moment um, is what really catapulted me onto what became a decade long journey. Um, because about a year after that, again, the skeptical part of my brain was not letting me have this, you know, like I started thinking, well, is it possible? You know, who knows what lengths 
people will mm-hmm. go to? Is it possible right. she has like an ex-CIA agent on her staff and he was outside <laughs> of my dad's house with high-tech listening equipment and heard me ask for that? Like, which I know is absurd. That's absurd. Right. Right, but right. My mind, you know, so I called her back like a year later and I said, listen, I need to know that you're actually doing what you claim you are. I would like to test you on film to see if you're doing oh. what you're doing. And I never thought in a million years that she was going to agree to this. To my surprise, mm-hmm. she immediately at we met at a little coffee shop outside of Hartford, Connecticut. And she said, sure, I'll do that. Immediately, she signed a release form for me, immediately giving me ownership of the footage before we had shot a frame. And that has always stuck with me because, you know, a filmmaker can make anyone look like a hero or a villain. They can do whatever they want in the editing room. She now says that she, she being not only a medium, but psychic, she says she's, she could sense that my intentions were true and uh, Mm -hmm. that I I was not, I was simply out to gather truth. Um, And she had that much faith in her ability. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up filming her. I've now got her on film, I think, doing 20, over 20 readings with different people. And wow. the proto- protocol is I typically don't even tell anyone on set who's coming in that day. I mm. have the sole authority to choose anyone on the planet to mm. come in for a reading. Angelina is brought in and sat down while cameras are rolling. And then a complete stranger is walked into the room. Mm. And I have her give readings. And I have watched her now time and again come mm-hmm. up with information that there's simply no way that um, mainstream science says she should be able to be accessing. Um, and, and, and once that, once I started to see this happening now with my own eyes, uh, with every passing person more concretely, uh, you know, establishing what I considered now to be um, close to fact that this woman was doing uh-huh. something we can't explain. I started right. to wonder, well, <laughs> If I'm I'm just a bartender and I'm getting these, right. <laughs> it, it can't be that I'm the only one who has looked into this, can it? And luckily, I'm not. There have been lots of research, right. and, and I've had uh, Dr. Raymond Moody on my show in the past, who wrote the book, seminal book, Life After Life, you know, decades yes. ago. Dr. Um, Moody, Dr. Grayson on on the, the whole UVA yeah. team, the whole team at the University of Virginia right now. Yeah. Uh, testing mediums. There's a place called the Windbridge Research Center in Arizona. A wonderful scientist named Dr. Julie Beichel, who was very skeptical. And like me, she had a run in with a medium in her own life. And being the good scientist that she is, she said, well, I can't let this go. I have to get to the bottom of what just happened here. And it was so amazing that she has now spent the rest of her life. She's now been doing this for decades. Um, and they use quintuple blind protocol, right? So she's not just some bartender coming up with casual experiments. They are doing quintuple blind protocols. The medium never even sees the person they're doing the reading for everyone involved in the experiments are blinded to an aspect of the experiment usual usually four aspects of the experiment and her results to her are clear stunningly clear the same math that helped us land a probe on mars the same Mm -hmm. sort of statistical analysis that gives us so many answers that all of science agrees with uh is useful those same statistical analyses have told dr beichel that some people walking around on this planet are able to get information in some anomalous way. She calls it anomalous information reception, you know, staying Mm -hmm. away from any ultimate answers, of course, because we do not know. All that we can say for sure, Dr. Beichel says, is that some people are able to obtain information via some pathway that science has yet to identify. 
Right, right, right. And if you look at sort of some ancient traditions and the Hindu tradition, they'll tell you, well, it's the third eye opening up. It's it's the, the person has, you know, just some natural ability that I feel we all have to some extent, to some small extent, we all have intuition, but it's uh, certain people have it in, in on steroids and have it very hyped up. Uh, it, it's time for us actually to go take our last break of the show. But when we come back, I'd love to know, how did you get on surviving death? And what was that whole experience like? And then, um, uh, and then before the end of the show, you have to tell us uh, why the title of your book is Love Dad, okay? Sure. Yes. Yes. Okay. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on talk, excuse me, talkradio.nyc. And we will be right back with Mike Anthony after this. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I see Patty on the Facebook Live is uh, believing in Tucson. She says, uh, my mother was born with the call, veil, covering her eyes. She was very psychic, but as a Catholic, she would only tell family members what was to come. Um, yeah, that, that, that does kind of happen a lot. Like people can be born with sort of this unusual ability, but then... Uh, they cover it up because, like you say, like regular society, no, that's not real, that's bad, it's all this other kinds of stuff. Um, so, so how did you get a segment or, or how did you get included on sur- the Netflix documentary series Surviving Death? 
Uh, as I was making my own documentary, again, testing this medium, uh, Angelina Diana, one of the women, one of the people involved in my documentary is a woman named Leslie Kane, uh, mm-hmm. who's a fantastic writer. She's a journalist for the New York Times and a New York Times bestselling author. She spent 10 years uh, studying uh, evidence for survival of, uh, after death. And uh, she was in my uh, documentary. Uh, you know, we had interviewed her and we became very close through this whole thing. And she has uh, given me experiences. She has opened doors for me that totally changed my life. Uh, and as we were filming, Netflix came to her and said, we'd like to make a six part documentary series based on your book, Surviving Death. And then she uh, brought my story to Netflix. So that's how I ended up in these. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. So so you were working on your own documentary. Have you finished it? Have you published it or are you still working on it? No. So Netflix ended up taking all of my footage. Uh, so I ended oh. up appearing in three of the episodes. Luckily, though, as it turns out, uh, we ended up shooting almost all new footage for Netflix. So I maintain ownership over uh, almost all of what I had previously shot. So the plan is um, that we I think we might go back to this documentary because it explores it much more deeply. Uh, the, mm. the Netflix series is great, but it kind of just uh, touches the surface, scratches the surface of some of these things. So we might pick it up again. Right, right, right. Now you've gotten into this like, like very deeply. I mean, of course, you're still keeping your day job, but, but how has it changed your life? How Mm. has like your experiences with your dad and researching this and seeing other people's experience? How has it shifted for you, how you show up in the world? Yeah, it has shifted me at a core level. Um, it has changed everything at a foundational level. You know, when I was a kid, I used to be sad. I wanted to be an explorer, right? Like my friend and I would go in our backyard and we'd find like these rock structures and pretend we were the first people to ever see them and yeah. name them. And I was like, man, Magellan was so lucky back when there was still stuff to discover. Well, you know, it's all discovered now was the sense I had as a kid reading those science books. To know now... Um, that that is so not true. We can all still be explorers. There is so much mystery left. Um, That is a wonderful feeling. And the other thing that this gift that my dad has given me is that I also feel that though it's still a mystery to me, obviously, how all of this works, a vast mystery, I do sense that there is a thread of love that goes through the whole thing. And as difficult as uh, being a human being can be, and there is, as you, the pain you were talking about, it's like a pain factory, right? Being a human being is a pain factory. In fact, that might be the whole reason for being a human. Um, (laughs) And even though there is so much heartache in the world and we do terrible things to each other sometimes and wars happen and all of these things that are very hard for people who are sensitive to this kind of stuff to, to take in, I now look at all of that differently because I do believe that even with all of it, there is a love that is foundational to all of it. Um, And that if we had a strong, I had a friend say, a friend who is not in a body anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, And he said it to me when he was not in a body. He said that someday at the end, and I can now say that and feel no shame about it whatsoever. (laughs) Um, But he said that someday at the end of our most powerful microscopes and our strongest telescopes, all we would see is love. If our instruments are that strong, because that is the vibrational level that from which everything else springs. And so, yeah, that shifts, that just lightens everything for me. And, um, you know, so thank you to my dad for, for giving us this priceless gift. 
And, and, and so I take it this somehow relates to the title of the book, Love Dad? Yeah, it's called Love Dad because love, comma, dad, because my dad had this precious way. He was very old school and he never, uh, you know, when he finally got a cell phone and he would leave us like voicemail messages, he would do it like he was signing a letter. So he'd say, OK, I'll see you later. Love, dad, like he had written a letter. And so. Now I feel like uh, he's giving us these, he's leaving me these voicemails and all these different kinds of ways still, mm. you know, he's still <laughs> leaving us these, these messages. So that's where it comes from. My, I like that. I like that. So, so with all the research you've done and, and all the, the, the people who I guess you've documented, you've researched, you've brought together with, with this, this medium, have you come across anybody who has an, a story that you thought was even more extraordinary than your own? Well, the, yeah. So Leslie Kane, in her book, there is a part of her book that is so extraordinary that had it not been such a credentialed journalist writing about it from the New York Times, I would not have given it weight. I would have thought there, there, that can't be real. If it were real, science would be all over that. That changes everything. Um, it's something called physical mediumship, which is a different form of mediumship. What, what we've been talking about is mental mediumship, right? Where the medium right. is conscious and all of that. Right. So um, she writes about an experience that so um, changed her sense of reality. And I thought, my God, what I would give to be able to experience that. Uh, but I thought there's no way that will ever happen. Less than a year after stumbling upon Leslie's book, Leslie and I, again, did not know each other. Less than a year after stumbling upon her book at Barnes & Noble, I was sitting in the same room with the same physical medium that she writes about in her book. Uh... And with my own eyes, Sam, this is what now gives me what the authority to say what I say with such confidence. I now, it does not matter to me how many Nobel prizes might be sitting on a scientist's shelf. If they tell me there is no such thing as anything, quote unquote, paranormal, I now know they are not right about that particular facet of reality because I have seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it happen. And of course I describe it in detail in the book. Um, so yeah, that is the most extraordinary, most extraordinary experience. Um, uh, that I've witnessed purely because of the physical nature of it. Again, as the okay. name physical mediumship uh, would make you think, uh, this is something that happens in the room. Everyone sees it happen. It's not subjective in nature. It's black and white. It happens. Uh, uh, and I won't go further than that because it, it, it's better, I guess, if you build up to it to understand it. Right, but, um, right, right, right. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Wonderful, Mike. Wonderful. We've just got a couple of minutes left before the end of the show. What do you hope people take away from your book, Love Dad? What, what do you What do you hope that, like, you know, I have the book, I've read it, like, like, what do you want people to to really like take away from it? Well, the main thing I hope they take away is comfort. Um, when I I wrote it because it's we were in such a hole, my family and I, of grief, right? When this happened, thinking I don't know how to go on without this person in, in my life. You know, it was we were devastated. And when these things happened that my dad gave to us, it it it, it was like a, someone threw a ladder into that hole. My dad threw a ladder into that hole and we climbed out of it and it totally changed our lives. And I started thinking it's not fair to keep this information to myself. It's not 
fair. I want everyone, you know, obviously I'm not going to force anyone to read anything or believe anything, but I want the information to be out there for those who seek it. And so for anyone who does read the book, that is my main hope that you come away from it seeing that, A, this is real. There's actual documented science. It's not just me saying this. I go into the people who have looked into this stuff. There's actual documented science. This is real. The the possibility of life after death is very seriously real uh, Mm -hmm. because of multiple lines of evidence, NDEs, kids of memories of past lives, all of these other things. Um, And when you accept that as an actual genuine um, uh, reality, it, it, it completely alters how you look at sort of everything. And um, I now see my relationship with my dad, not as, as having ended, but as in having uh, just transitioned into a, something of a different form. And that, so comfort, that's the main thing I hope people take away from the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patty on the Facebook Live says she loves your excitement. I see that you're very passionate about this, and that's really beautiful to see. Uh, last question, then we end the show. Um, You've been you've been into this stuff for a long time now. When you talk to people in general, strangers, compared to 10, 15 years before, compared to now, do you see a shift in in people's receptivity or, or how people respond to you compared to before? I do. I, I do sense a shift. Uh, there, there's this whole UFO thing happening right now, right? Yeah, uh, that the yeah. Pentagon has admitted this stuff. And, 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 and that is going to, I think, cause a major psychological shift in people. Because if, if the Pentagon is admitting something is going on that we cannot explain, uh, and people give great authority to the Pentagon, whether they should or not, um, right. and if some, an institution like that is saying something like this, I feel like that is, a, again, something that shifts us uh, psychologically at sort of a foundational level. And yes, I have noticed people are much more um, open to this idea. And it's great that I have actual science and evidence that I can point them to and say, before you, you know, deny this or dismiss it a priori, please read this study that was done at the right. University of Virginia, Virginia, you know, this very respected institution. And then let's, let's talk more about it. So yes, I do sense um, an opening to, to this. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Mike, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, uh, definitely a, 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 a kindred soul, as I like to say. Um, uh, so I appreciate it. Everybody, if you're interested in what we've talked about, please go out and get Mike's book called Love, Dad. Um, uh, nice, uh, short, and sweet. Um, and uh, again, from Mike Anthony, available everywhere, Mike? Yep, Amazon.com and all of the major uh, places, yep. And if people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you, do you have a website or anything people can check out? Yes, MikeAnthony.com. MikeAnthony.com, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Mike. You have a great day. You too. I'm off to buy Everyday Awakening right now, Sam. ah, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And hey, if in the future you've got a new book coming out, like let me know, we'll get you back on the show, okay? Thank you very much. Absolutely. And thank you, my loyal listeners, for tuning in with me today. Uh, Of course, it's it's without you, there is no show. So thank you so much. Remember to stay tuned. Later today, we have uh, Frank Harrison and his show, Frank About Health, followed by Johnny Tsunami and Planet Pakalolo. And of course, Friday, our whole block of Friday uh, business shows. And then we do it all again next week. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.
to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Daba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. podcast gateway to the smokies it airs on talkradio.nyc every tuesday night from 6 p.m to 7 every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the great smoky mountains national park and surrounding areas this show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture history and adventure that awaits you in the smokies tune in every tuesday from 6 p.m to 7 on talkradio.nyc Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.